The Read to Lead Podcast, Episode 14. Hi, I'm Lisa B. Marshall, host of the Public Speaker Podcast and author of Smart Talk. And you found Read to Lead Podcast with my friend, Jeff Brown. As important as nonfiction is, you got to remember that stories will fire your imagination in ways that nonfiction will not. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now here's Jeff. It's the podcast dedicated to one of our passions. Of course, that passion is reading. And my goal is to help you develop a more intentional and consistent reading habit in part because I believe that reading is essential to your success in business and in life. Each week, we sit down with another successful and inspiring author and chat about their latest book, but also their thoughts on leadership, personal development, career, business, entrepreneurship, and a lot more. In this episode, we'll chat with New York Times best-selling author of The Traveler's Gift and The Noticer, Andy Andrews. We'll spend much of our time today on his brand new book, The Noticer Returns. And be sure you stick around till the end of the show to learn how you can win one of five copies of Andy's new book. But first, this episode is brought to you by Brown Nose Media. That's Brown K-N-O-W-S Media. They specialize in mobile apps and websites specifically for small to medium-sized businesses. If your website is in bad need of a refresh or you're tired of having to depend on someone who isn't even a part of your business anytime you want to make updates, then it's time you gave Brown Nose Media a call. They'll not only build you a great site, but they'll give you the tools you need to make the changes and additions on your own when you want anytime. In other words, you're in control. Contact Brown Nose Media today to find out how they can help you set your site free. And during October only, get $500 off the cost of your site build when you mention the Read to Lead podcast. Visit brownnosemedia.com for more. That's brown, K-N-O-W-S media.com. Andy Andrews has been hailed by one New York Times reporter as someone who's quietly become one of the most influential people in America. He is a best-selling novelist, speaker, and consultant for the world's largest corporations and organizations. He's spoken at the request of four different United States presidents and recently addressed members of Congress and their spouses. One of my favorite authors, Zig Ziglar, said Andy Andrews is the best speaker he's ever seen. Andy is the author of the New York Times bestsellers, The Traveler's Gift, The Noticer, and How Do You Kill 11 Million People. He lives in Orange Beach, Alabama with his wife, Polly, and their two sons. And his new book, The Noticer Returns, is being released, I believe, the same day this interview is being published. Andy will correct us if we're wrong on that, Tuesday, (laughs) October 1st, 2013. And we are thrilled to have him as our guest today. Andy, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Hey, Jeff. I I am honored to be here. Thank you for taking the time. And was I correct? uh, The book releasing October 1st? Yes, October 1st. Well, in the introduction, we refer to you as a novelist. And I I looked up the word novelist in the dictionary, and it says, one who writes novels. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess that's me, you know. And so someone listening to this right now might be scratching their heads to some degree because they're thinking, well, I thought the Read to Lead podcast was about interviewing inspiring and successful nonfiction authors. And in the, in the prologue of your book, 
you share about how much difficulty the publishing industry has had attempting to categorize your books. I, I would categorize many of them myself as of the uh, personal development variety. What, what would you say to that? You know, I, I think so, too. I think, uh, it, but it has been uh, very weird through the years when The Traveler's Gift came out. <clears throat> you know, it had taken us a while to get that published. And and so when it really hit, uh, uh, the uh, Good Morning America made it their book of the month. And so it, it really hit. And The New York Times had it on their, their list. It was on the New York Times list in fiction. And at the same time, uh, the Wall Street Journal put it on their bestseller list in nonfiction. And and then the New York Times changed it to nonfiction and back to fiction. Uh, Barnes & Noble had it in self-improvement. Amazon had it in literature. Publishers Weekly put it in religion. <laughs> and uh, And finally, the New York Times put it in business where it stayed for several months. Wow. So it, it's crazy. I, I just say that I write stories and I wrap principles in them. And and so I, that's really I, I don't know. I don't really know what a novel is, I guess, <laughs> either. But I but I just I, I write stories and I think that that stories connect with people in a way sometimes that textbook style uh, writing does not. And so that's what I do. Well, we recently had on the show a guy you probably know named John Acuff, who in his latest book, Start, talks about the, the two paths that we can travel in life, the path of average and the path of awesome. And I think a lot of folks struggle with that a great deal because the path to average is a lot easier than the path to awesome. And uh, the way it's sort of laid out in the Notice of Returns is this average life versus the opportunity for an extraordinary life. How do, how do you define the difference between those two? Well, you know, average lives, you're right, it is an easier path, but it's also, I guess, just an obvious path. And and so more people take that because there are more people promoting that path. You know, I have clients who, um, you know, as what, besides writing and speaking, I have, you know, a few clients. I work with some football teams and um, some corporations. And, and one of the things I always tell them right as we begin is I'm not interested in a normal level of improvement. You know, I am really interested in extraordinary levels. You know, I'm not interested in increasing, you know, seven to 10% a year. I, hmm. I say, if we can't go for two or 300% a year, we're wasting our time. And so, I, I tell them, I said, I'll tell you what your your enemy is going to be right off the bat. Your enemy is going to be thinking that says, well, I hear you, but that's not the way this industry works. Mm. Well, I hear you, but reality is, well, I hear you, but, you know, historically our company has. And so, so you know, in the notice of returns, Jones, this old man in this book is is dealing with a younger guy. And he gives him this uh, this secret principle of extraordinary achievement, and I'll do it for you real quick. It, it goes something like this. And and but before before I I say this, let me just throw this in there because this is funny to me, Jeff. That that anybody who hears this, this is very easy to agree with. Mm-hmm. It's a little harder to put into practice. But here here it is. If you're thinking like everybody else is thinking. And you're doing what everybody else is doing. You're probably doing something wrong because everybody is not achieving results that we would all look at and call extraordinary. Mm. So if you're 
thinking like everybody else is thinking and you're doing what everybody else is doing, you're probably just contributing to the average. Even if you're in first place, even if people are pointing to you and saying, aren't they doing great? Mm. Chances are you're contributing to the average at a high level, but a high average is still average. Do you want to be average? Do you want to raise average children? Do you want to have an average marriage? Do you want to have an average uh, amount of financial success? Do you want to have average influence in your community? No. If I gave you a magic wand, you would flip that magic wand around in every part of your life and make every part of your life absolutely extraordinary, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Well, if you would, then we have to be very careful and watch ourselves when we start thinking like other people are thinking and doing what other people are doing because the results of that are average results and that's not what you said you wanted. You write a lot about standards in the notice of returns as well and I'm curious to know why are those so important in your view and and which ones do we need to set for our lives? Well, I I think that the standards that we set for our lives are are different uh, in in other you know in in different cases, however, I think that you know in, in this particular book you know that at that time and I know what you're talking about Jones is dealing with a, a parenting class, and there's four major things that he deals with in this book. One is parenting. One is business. Uh, how to start your own from nothing and create an incredibly profitable business very very quickly, and how to top the competition. And number three uh, deals with Alzheimer's, and number four with death. Well, uh, with these standards, that is what has been lacking for uh, several decades anyway with, with the parenting issues in our society. Mm. And and I have come to believe, Jeff, that that parenting is the actual fulcrum that our culture tilts upon. Because if you look back, and well, let me, let me just tell you this, you know, dealing with teams and athletes and corporations, there are many times, in fact, I can't think of a single time in the past couple of years that I haven't dealt with a disaster uh, on, you know, in some uh, human resources area, some disaster, some person did something or said something that really, when you looked at it, you realize, man, this is an adult, but the reason this adult is acting this way or doing this, it's a parenting issue. This should have been handled when they were eight. Wow. <laughs> and and so when I say that the, the, um, the, the parenting is the fulcrum our society balances on, you think back 70 years ago to what we all consider the greatest we ever were, you know, that, and that's the greatest generation. We look at that generation of people and across the board, you know, Democrats, Republicans, liberals, conservatives, Christians, atheists, everybody agrees that that group of people. Man, that's the best we ever were. They contributed more. They produced more. They became more. They sacrificed more. But when you look at them, you really have to give the credit, not to them, but to their parents and grandparents. Right. Because what standards did those parents and grandparents enforce? What standards did they raise those kids by to achieve such incredible results? And then you look at a decline in our society over the past 70 years, and you look at today, and you can't help but say, wow, parenting is uh, to a great degree, you know, responsible for this too. 
Well, this kind of goes along with that then. What do we as a society need to do in order to change our culture? Does it start and end with parenting or are there other aspects of that? There are other aspects of it. And, and I know, you know, as, as you were asking that question, I was like, wow, I didn't really answer his other one. Um, <laughs> but, that, you know, my wife would tell you that's like a common theme in our house. But it, I, I, and very quickly, I think the reason that standards are so important is because if you look at the definition of a standard, a standard is one thing. A standard is the highest uh, level of something that is agreed upon by everybody. That's a standard. And so when you look at a society today of parents who have, or, or business people or politicians or whatever you want to do, you look at a society today that has agreed to disagree on what the standard is. Right. I mean, this, mm. these parents may raise their kids this way and these parents raise their kids this way and neither can convince the other of anything. They just, So they just kind of agree to disagree. Well, that means that they have a standard and they have a standard. And Jeff, you and I are probably somewhere in the middle. And so there's another standard. And and so a society with many standards means that there is a society with no standard. Mm. And and this is frankly what happened to Rome. And so when we look at our businesses and we look at, at where we're going, it is very important to, to know what our standards are, is to create the results. You know, I, I had a, one of my clients asked me not too long ago, he said, now you work with Alabama sometimes, right? And I said, right. He said, well, you always talk about results and Nick Saban always talks about process. So what is that? And I said, well, number one, I'm there every now and then. Nick's there every day. Mm-hmm. I said, and so, so, but to create an effective process, you first have to have a result. You have to have that standard established. What are you gunning for? You know, what are you, what are you running for? Because only when you determine that standard and, and when you determine that result there, then you can build a process to move toward it. And that standard never moves. And so, the, the the process may be broad at the beginning, it narrows and narrows the closer and closer you get because you're refining it every step of the way. And so so the the idea is that that we work toward a, a, a point. Otherwise, what we do is uh, we become parents or business people uh, and 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 when people say, well, so what, what are you trying to do here? We say things like, well, man, you know, I'm just I'm doing the best I can every day. I'm just a man. I'm just out there after it. I'm doing the best I can. But doing the best I can is not a standard. Hmm. I mean, that varies from day to day, maybe from hour to hour. One of the uh, the things in the book that, that, that I latched onto that Jones is, is so adept at is giving people new perspective on the issues they're facing in life. How can readers find new perspectives on the problems they're facing or experiencing? In other words, how can they find a, a noticer of their own? You know, I think that a huge part of finding a noticer of their own, and, and Jones called himself a noticer because he said, he said when, you know, when they were passing out when God was passing out talents, I didn't get the cool ones. I can't run fast. I can't sing great. Hmm. But I noticed little things that make a big difference in people's lives. And one of the big things that Jones taught me to notice is, is perspective and how perspective on a situation is so much more important than shoving an answer 
in there where an answer sometimes it's not, you know, sometimes answers, great answers are a matter of timing. And you can shove something in there that'll get you somewhere, but it's not that perfect thing. And so he says, you know, perspective brings calm. Calm leads to clear thinking. Clear thinking yields ideas. And from ideas, we get answers. And so in our lives, to understand, to have a great perspective on situations is, in most cases, to understand reality in an extreme manner. And what I mean by that is, you know, when somebody says, wow, I'm just, you know, I'm in a bad place in my life. You know, we're going through a lot of crazy stuff right now. And and so to understand, to have perspective on that would say, well, perspective is, well, that's not a big deal. That's kind of a normal part of life. And then that person might say, what? What do you mean? That's a normal part of life. Well, the extreme perspective is, hey, you got to understand we are all in a crisis, coming out of a crisis, or headed for a crisis. That's part of being with us on this planet. And when that ceases to be the case for you, um, you know, you'll be gone. Mm. And so, so huge perspective. Uh, one of the things Jones said to me, and this is in, in the noticer, I, is I, I always found myself, you know, I would grasp at things and I would have hope for a while, but then I would get depressed and then I would have hope for a while and then more hope and then I would lose hope. And then I'd have hope and then I would feel like, you know, am I just stupid? You know, am I just beating my head against the wall? And, and so one of the things Jones told me one day, he said, he said, look, every principle can be proven. Every principle can be proven. He said, if you live your lives according to principles, then your life will be a lot more accurate, a lot more productive, and a lot easier to live. And he said, every principle can be proven. And and I said, is hope a principle? He said, well, I don't know. Can it be proven? And I said, well, I don't know. Can it be? And he said, how about this? A proof of hope. He said, even at your worst time. Even at the height of your doubts about yourself, you got to remember you're still breathing. If you're still breathing, that means you're still here. If you're still here, that means you haven't accomplished what you were put here to accomplish. If you hadn't accomplished what you're put here to accomplish, that means your very purpose has not yet been fulfilled. If your very purpose hadn't been fulfilled, that means the most important part of your life, the coolest part of your life, the best part of your life is still ahead of you. There's there's more laughter to have. There's more success to earn. There's more friends to help and more children to teach. Even in the worst of times, there is more. There's a proof of hope. And so pr- true perspective, I, I think, is is truth in the extreme. One of the key points in the book is that, uh, and I think the way you put it is, you can't believe everything you think. What do you What do you mean when you say that? Well, you know, this is this is an odd little thing. When you when you think about this, Jeff, that you can't believe everything you think. Most of us only think as hard as we are forced to, <laughs> and since we're out of school now, most of us we. Uh, we don't have anybody really forcing us to think anymore. And so when we run up against something we know, and I'm putting the finger quotes around that word, you know, when we run up against something we know, we move over to something really we don't know. We, we don't think past the things we know. And so you only know what you know. And yet, 
have you ever been sure about something and you could argue it and you could win the argument and then you found out you were wrong? Well, <laughs> of course, we've all done that. Okay, well, if you've ever been sure about something you're wrong about, does the possibility exist that you might be wrong about something now? And, and you would say, well, Annie, of course, obviously, I could be wrong about something now. Okay, well, if you could be wrong about something, we don't really know what that is, do we? And we don't know how many things that might be. And so whatever you're thinking, to remember you can't believe everything you think will allow you to move past what you know into incredibly rare ground which is uh, fertile soil. I mean, to, to find wisdom that is way beyond knowledge. See, you know, I, I read a lot of King Solomon because the, the, uh, you know, the, the data shows that King Solomon was the wisest person that ever lived and the wealthiest person ever lived. So he wrote several things. And so I read anything I can get my hands on about him or that he wrote. And one of the things he says is that, Wisdom is the beginning of all of it, and that that get wisdom at any cost. And he says, seek wisdom like you would look for lost treasure. And, of course, I say, seek wisdom like you would look for your lost keys, because most people look for their lost car keys harder than they search for wisdom. <laughs> One of the most intriguing things about the book is how it so seamlessly blends true stories with fiction. We kind of hinted at that at the beginning of the conversation, that, that that's, that's your uh, sweet spot. So that begs the question, which parts are true? Now, based on a couple of things you said <laughs> earlier, it sounds like Jones was someone you actually knew. He was. I, um, when I was homeless years ago, uh, 30 years ago, I was living under a pier, and I met him then. And, and so if you've read The Noticer, that's the first that first book. You don't have to read it before you read this one, but but just just know this when you do read the noticer, the very first chapter is true. Mm. Uh, the rest of it is more my imagination, but but that you know he was a a real guy, and which is kind of funny to me because I read. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll see what somebody says about the book or whatever, or read what they write. And it's funny to me to see uh, people say, well, Jones is obviously an angel or, you know, Jones was really the author intends Jones to be Jesus because Jones starts with a J. It ends with an S and has five <laughs> letters. And I'm like, I never I never even thought of that. Is that but, it, you know, he really was a very wise old man and and he really did start me on the road uh, to reading. Um, you know, I, I had always been up until that point. I'd been a Sports Illustrated person, and and uh, he started me reading biographies, and and I, I read over two hundred of them mm. to really kind of uh, at at a certain point. I started realizing, man, there's a lot of things these people have in common, and I identified seven things that these people all. Uh, were or had or used, and I really didn't know what to call them at that point because I knew they weren't they weren't seven habits or they weren't seven ideas they weren't seven theories they and and it turns out they were seven principles and and so these were the seven principles that ended up I I, I wrote the Traveler's Gift 
around those seven pyramids, which is a story of a, um, a man in trouble, having a horrible uh, time in his life and gets to go back into time and meets with seven historical figures who are also going through a tough time in their own life. Gets to be with Anne Frank in the annex and and uh, Lincoln at Gettysburg and, and uh, King Solomon right after he says, bring me this sword and I'll tell you whose baby this is. And so, you know, I, I do write stories. Because and, and you know and I, and I heard what you said at the first you know a podcast for uh, nonfiction where we <laughs> interview nonfiction authors but I want I want to caution everybody uh, as important as nonfiction is you got to remember that stories will fire your imagination in ways that nonfiction will not and so you know don't don't totally uh, do away with stories if you're, you know, because I do understand, I tend to, you know, I tend to be that way too. I tend to say, all right, just, you know, I, let me cut through the fluff. Just tell me what I need to do. But, but a lot of times when you look back in your life, you know, some of your greatest breakthroughs, some of your greatest moments had pieces of imagination from you in them. And so wouldn't you also want to make that part of you grow? Because wisdom is, is not knowledge, right? I mean, right. you know, we can get knowledge from uh, nonfiction books, from an education, but there's a big difference. You know, wisdom has an aspect of imagination, an, an aspect of creativity in it, because, you know, wisdom is how to apply that knowledge in a specific way in a certain time. You know, I, I always think that that knowledge, um, you have to have it, but you could teach, any 12-year-old could learn how to drive a car, right? I mean, any 12-year-old has the physical and mental ability to drive a car, uh, but now you're not going to throw them the keys and say, have a great weekend, <laughs> right? Because right. They, they haven't got the wisdom to apply that knowledge in a proper way and in a consistent manner. Well, I completely agree with that too, and uh, certainly I'm a fa fan of fiction myself. And the great thing about your style of writing is is it's sort of the best of both worlds, all in all in one book. Uh, can you name for us a couple of books you've read in the last, uh, say, two years that that have had a great impact on you, Andy? Yeah, I, you know, uh, one of them is a book by. Uh, Alex Kershaw, who wrote a book. It, the book is called The Few, and and these were American pilots. This is kind of a World War II. Uh, it's it's nonfiction, and it's a, a detail of the American pilots who went over and fought in the Battle of Britain, really kind of before that was our war, mm. and and so I, I always I always love reading about uh, courage and reading about people that did something different, and and so I, I that was very that was a very important one for me. Um, another another thing that I. I, I, and I'll just tell you, I just love reading this guy. His name is Bernard Cornwell, and it's really kind of guy books. He writes historical fiction, and I read him because he teaches me how to tell a story. Mm. And and so it's very – I think that's another part of storytelling. I mean you can, you can have all the facts – you can have all the facts in the world. You can have the, all the knowledge in the world. But if, if people won't sit and listen to you or if you can't, can't get people to connect, it really doesn't matter. Mm. And so 
So there is a, a method of communication that comes from your imagination that I think uh, will propel you in business, will propel you in parenting. And, and I think that's what my character, Jones, really tries to teach. Well, before we wrap up, Andy, I know time is tight. Tell us where we can find you online, website, Twitter. In other words, how can fans of your work connect with you the best? Well, I'm I'm uh, andyandrews.com. Uh, I have a, a, a podcast, too, and uh, it's called In the Loop with Andy Andrews. And you can uh, subscribe on iTunes or, uh, or go to uh, our website. I'm on uh, Twitter, at Andy Andrews, and, and on Facebook. Just on Facebook, find Andy Andrews and click like. I will be your friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and I, you know, I really am active in those areas because I, re- I really believe all of us are better than, than one of us. And I love learning from other people's experiences and their stories. And, and man, I, I very much appreciate your time and appreciate what you're doing. You have what an awesome thing you have going here and helping tons of people. Well, thank you. And we uh, certainly enjoy your work. I'm reading The Traveler's Gift as well right now as part of a mastermind group I'm in. And I actually did a book review several years ago when The Noticer came out on my blog and have been a fan for a long time. And we are thrilled to have found a way to get you on this show. So thank you for being a part of it. Hey, buddy. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Be sure to stick around because in just a moment, I'll share with you how you can win one of five copies of Andy's new book just out today called The Noticer Returns. And Andy would love to hear from you. Let him know what you think about today's episode and the insights he shared just by sending Andy a tweet to at Andy Andrews on Twitter. That's at Andy Andrews on Twitter. To comment on this episode, just go to the blog, readtoleadpodcast.com forward slash 014 for episode 14. Again, that's readtoleadpodcast.com forward slash 014. If you've yet to rate the podcast, I hope you'll do so soon. We're trying to achieve 100 five-star ratings by the end of this month. This helps ensure others will have a better chance of finding the podcast. And if you give the podcast a five-star rating and leave a review, I'll be sure to mention you by name in an upcoming episode. It's just a small way of saying thanks. To rate and review the podcast, just visit readtoleadpodcast.com forward slash iTunes. That's readtoleadpodcast.com forward slash iTunes. And to that end, I'd like to say thanks to James Kenson, Gronacy, also JPT Paper, and Jeff Rose, CFP. Jeff and his wife host the Dollars and Roses podcast, Make Money Blogging. Be sure to check them out. Finally, if you'd like a chance of winning your very own copy of The Notice of Returns, you can put your name in the hat by simply going to readtoleadpodcast.com slash Andy. That's readtoleadpodcast.com forward slash Andy. There you'll find a tweet already written up for you to share with your tribe. Just share it before Friday at noon Central Time, and you'll be included in a drawing for one of five copies of The Notice of Returns. Now, if you don't have a Twitter account, but you do have a Facebook page, go to that same URL, readtoleadpodcast.com slash Andy, and just copy and paste the tweet into a Facebook status update, and that will work just as well. You can also find out more details at the show notes page. Again, that's readtoleadpodcast.com forward slash 014. Well, that'll do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you again next week on the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com and chat with other members at facebook.com slash readtoleadnation. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Read to Lead.
boom, 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 boom. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a beautiful feeling. Everything's going my way. There's a bright golden haze on the meadow. There's the bright golden haze on the meadow. The corn is as high as an elephant's eye. And it looks like it's rising right up to the sky. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a beautiful feeling. Everything's going my